Hi, and welcome back to the Worthy is He podcast. Um, this is Chip Stewart, as, uh, as usual, and it is uh, Wednesday, April 26, 2023. And, uh, and um, the name of this episode is By the River Ahava, and um, it's a reason for that, and I'll get to that in a minute. It comes from the, uh, the book of Ezra. But um, during this episode, I, I want to share with you uh, an issue... I think that's very um, relevant in the church today that I've kind of been struggling with my understanding and trying to come to a conclusion as what does God want us to do? And And it's in regards to should we arm ourselves with weapons in the church to protect ourselves from attack from those outside? And... It really doesn't, to, to think about doing that doesn't sit right with me because I think, I think of what image does that portray to the outside world of who our God is and what we think of our God. So I'm going to go through some scripture because I just read Ezra in, in chapter 8 this week and, and, it, and a light bulb came on and I, and I think I'm much closer to reaching a conclusion in, in regards to this, I, I wouldn't say I'm 100% yet because this is, you know, when, when you have a worldly perspective, um, it, it, it's, it can be very difficult and difficult to accept the, the, what, what, what I think God wants us to do. And it's going to take prayer and meditation um, about it. But I think it's important that we understand what God's expectation is of us as his children in this world, um, as believers who are the salt and light and the image we portray to the fallen, the people who are not believers around us. And he, and he does it for a reason. So, just to restate the question that I'm, I am dealing with here is based on the increasing violence in, in the land and, and potential for targeting Christians. It's the question that is written, is, has, arisen, has arisen, how should we protect ourselves? Should we hire security for our churches? Should we ask some of our congregation to come to church armed? You know, how do we protect ourselves? And, when this week I read in Ezra chapter 8, starting verse 21, this was, it, it really, I think, made it clear to me what God expects of us. And this part of Ezra is when Ezra and a group of Israelites were by the river Ahava, and they were about to go back to Jerusalem from the Babylonian captivity. And, and for that trek to go from Babylon back to Jerusalem, it, was, it had been long um, and fraught with danger, you know, the potential for ambush um, being attacked along the way. So I'm going to go ahead and read uh, what it says here. And this is Ezra speaking. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. 
for I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. And then skipping forward to verse 31, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. This is what they had told the king. Is, you know, when I read this, is this not the God who we preach or should be preaching? Is this not the same God in who we believe and trust? You know, if, if this is the same God, if this is the God we preach, why do we need things of the world to protect us? I think that's a very important question to ask ourselves. Because if this is our God and we pray and fast for his protection... Would he not also protect us like he protected Ezra and his group on their, on their trek from Babylon back to, to Jerusalem? So I think that's a very valid question to ask. So based on that, and God being our protection, um, let's look at how Jesus responds when he and how he acts when he is threatened so this is this is more toward at the time of persecution and so we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 26 and this is where he's being arrested in the garden of gethsemane and um, at the moment when peter cuts off the servant malchus's ear and jesus admonishes him for it and then fully heals malchus's ear So starting in verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out? as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So in this instance, you know, and admittedly, this is a special special case because this is where Jesus is going to the cross to to fulfill prophecy and, and fulfill God's plan to redeem us by the death of his son on the cross. But during this time, 
it's very interesting what he tells Peter. And Peter probably is a lot like us where we want to, you know, defend the word. We want to defend our brethren with weapons when they are threatened. And I get, I get that. I, I totally get that because I spent, I, I graduated from the United States Military Academy. I spent 23 years um, in the service and I understand the attitude of the use of lethal force. But is this what is this what our Savior wants us to do? He, in this case, when Peter is in his um, being zealous, says, "Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword." That's a pretty stern admonition that Jesus gives gives Peter there, and I think that we should we should look at this and see how it applies to us today. And I think it. I, I think it does. I think we should. It should give us pause before we do anything like this to to take up arms against our fellow man to to defend, ten, defend the word of fellow believers when we're being persecuted. Something to think about. So Jesus here, he submits to his arrest. He submits to the abuse he suffers, and he submits to being hung on the cross. Again, this is in fulfillment of the scriptures so he can go to the cross to die for us. But here he admits he could have called down legions of angels to intervene, but he doesn't. But what, what plans does he have for us? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about us as his children. So I'm, I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. But let's look first at how the apostles and disciples respond to persecution. Because, I mean, if we're being attacked in, in our churches, is that not persecution for being followers of Christ? So Stephen, here's an example in Acts chapter 7, where he was stoned to death for his faith. Here it starts in, in verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down the garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So when you look at this, he did not resist. He did not throw stones back. He did not pull out a sword. And, and of particular interest is how he prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We need to ask ourselves, would, would this be our attitude toward those who will attack us for being Christians? Is that how we would cry out to God? Or would we shoot them instead? Let's look at Paul. He has been beaten, stoned, received lashings, all sorts of stuff for his faith. And throughout all the scriptures, there's no indication whatsoever of him fighting back or protecting himself with any sort of weapons. 
Let's take a look um, at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 21, where, where he starts out, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. He's, he's, he's boasting of who he is, and he knows he's speaking like a fool here because we're not supposed to boast. But he is, he is sharing his experience. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? So you see here how he's received these beatings, imprisonments, near death, the lashings that he received. And he kept going. It was all for the sake of Christ. And, and Christ talks about how we're blessed when we're persecuted, which I'll talk about here in a minute. But Paul does, gives no indication of fighting back fighting back. And God was with them the whole time. Church history teaches, teaches us that all the apostles except John were martyred um, for their faith. And, and, and of all this, there, there doesn't seem to be one instance anywhere uh, of resisting persecution with, with violence. So the Bible, for us, you know, we're told by the scriptures that we will face persecution and, and in nowhere does it tell us to resist or retaliate. Jesus tells us specifically in the Sermon on the Mount that we're blessed when we're persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And they killed the prophets. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, tells us about suffering for righteousness' sake. Starting in chapter 8, he says, Finally, all of you have a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So he talks about suffering for righteousness' sake. We're blessed, echoing what, what Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount. And further on in the same, uh, in the same uh, epistle, in chapter 4, starting verse 12, Peter tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And when you look at the times and you consider Revelation, it seems like we're moving very quickly toward the Revelation scenario. And it talks about here about those who were slain for their testimony. In chapter 6, starting in verse 9, says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There is coming a time when the Antichrist, the beast, is going to be killing believers. And what is our witness during that time? Are we to resist? I see no indication of that. And finally, I want us to remember the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. If you look back in 1 Peter chapter 4, remember, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. But you're going to ask, but Chip, what about self-defense? I, I, no, I have no answer for that. 
All I know is what, what God tells us here when we face persecution. We're blessed. God knows. God knows we are being persecuted for his name. And, and let us make sure we're being persecuted for our faith and not for being a murderer or a meddler or some sort of committing some sort of crime. Let it be because we are faithful to God. We are obedient to him. That is why we're being persecuted. So what, what kind of image of Christ and Christians do we present when we arm ourselves and defend ourselves with weapons? You know, is not God described as, like, like Ezra did, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Turn to Psalm 91. Is this not our God, dear Christian? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion, the adder, the young lion, the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Is this, is this us? Do we, do we hold fast to his name? You know, do we hold fast? To him in love? Is that who we call out to for our protection? Or is it worldly means, worldly methods, things of the flesh? So, again, I ask, what do we say about our God when we seek worldly means, these worldly means to protect us as Christians? We seek world's protection rather than God's protection. Is God not our dwelling place? Is he not our refuge? Is he not our fortress? Do we not trust him? Do we not know his name? I fully realize that you know this is a very controversial topic um, and, and it, it's a hard one. I'm, you, you think about it, it's like, well, how are we going to feel if our church is attacked and we we decided not to hire security or have our members of our congregation come to the service armed? You know, what are we going to say to everybody? And all I know is what the Word of God tells us, and I think we need to be on the same the same sheet of music as our Lord. And um, it's not easy. He doesn't promise that it'll be easy. 
but we need to have faith and we need to trust what he has told us where we are blessed if we're persecuted and that he is our shield. He is our buckler. He is a strong fortress. He is our refuge. And, and if we are persecuted for his namesake, it, he knows this. He is there with us and we need to bless rather than curse. It's hard. I know. That's why I still struggle with it. But I encourage everyone to pray about it. Because, um, you know, these times ain't going to get any easier. I'll, I'll tell you that. And, um, and we need to be faithful. May we be faithful. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.